I actually want to expand on a few of the ideas that I, that I included in my exhortation for last Sunday at Rowney Green, um, where I talked about guilt and the antidote to guilt. Um, so I'd like to just recap some of the things, the points I made in that talk and then expand on those points here today. So to recap briefly, I gave a talk on how we as Christians should let go of the illusion of security of life that we cocoon ourselves with, that comfort blanket of wealth as we read about in James and supposed control that we have in our lives. This kind of comforting but ultimately unfulfilling life was what Jesus called us to lose. It's an impure form of security. And instead we saw that instead of keeping hold of this fake security, we saw that if we can let go of it and let go of our desires for an easy, pain-free life, we can lay hold of that feeling of being out of control, which is from God. This pure form of insecurity, living a life that won't be easy and that we won't have so much control over, not so planned, but instead a life that we have let God dictate. And that's why it feels like security, because we aren't in the driving seat. We thought about how to make this move from fake security to a godly life led in Christ that really matters. And we saw it was dependent on real heartbreaking repentance, laying yourself out, laying yourself open for God to see and use as he pleased. And how this humble approach couldn't just be a cycle of daily wrongs and feelings of guilt and then daily prayers for forgiveness, but must be a transformation of character, a complete letting go of who you thought you were and a diving into what you can be in God through the letting go of feelings of persistent guilt and self-loathing and not allowing your self-centeredness to snatch away the joy of the gospel. We saw that we could replace guilt with joy through, Christ, through trust in God's faithfulness and in his mercy. And so in a nutshell, that was my message for last week. We call, of course, we all recognise or should recognise the utter victory that Christ has achieved already, past tense, for us. That he has destroyed the power of sin over us. Thanks be to God who's given us the victory through our Lord Jesus, we read in Acts 27. So we're going to expand on those thoughts today. We've got so little time left before Jesus returns, brothers and sisters. It's today, and while it's today, we have to do what we can to be transformed. And that means taking tough spiritual choices and hard-sounding commitments, making them once and doing them, not endlessly rethinking our position or stuck in a loop of doubt, going soft on our resolve. We have so little time. When we give an account of ourselves, shouldn't we at least be able to say, as I saw my redemption coming, I looked up and I got up and I made a difference in those last days. I know I wasn't perfect, but because of a recommitment to you, I escaped the drowning shame and the swirling self-torment and 
the entangling weeds of my own guilt, long enough to walk on water for just a few remaining days. I like that thought. To show true faith, he must get up out of the water and walk on it to meet Jesus. And of course, what are we doing here if it's not exactly that? We've got the bread and the wine here as symbols of how we first die with him. And then with his help, we get up out of that watery grave, out of death. And now I lay it all at your feet, you're going to say to Jesus. I tried my best in the last days. So this talk is about our relationship to regret and guilt. We're going to find the silver lining around those feelings of guilt and hopefully find a powerful metaphor, or what I think could be a powerful metaphor, to help us serve God with a renewed determination. So just a few questions went through my mind before this talk. Is guilt an objectively bad thing? Just pure bad? Is the negative emotion of regret only bad, only negative? Or should we embrace guilt while running from regret? Or the other way around, you know, what should our relationship be with these feelings, which I think we all have from time to time? So first, a few thoughts on the subject of guilt. So I want to maintain that it's actually a good sign, if you have it, you're not supposed to drown in it, but it's a sign of spiritual alertness and that you have a conscience. It's a sign that there's love in your heart for God, or you wouldn't feel anything. We would be Sunday best Christians without guilt. You know, I wear smart clothes on Sunday now, and I feel a sense of uh, awkwardness, I suppose, when I walk out of, outside to the car. I wonder what our neighbours think of me. Perhaps they think I'm, I feel superior to them, I don't know in my posh clothes. How many Christians or members of the truth feel no guilt from day to day, a sort of thoughtless, go-through-life, happy contentment? And we, we think so much of those Christians who are always so very happy, they're always so very content, but one wonders if it's a shallow contentment. You know, do they really feel guilt? Do they feel the full human emotion that perhaps they ought to? And how many of us also sometimes feel no guilt? And suddenly see that it's actually quite desirable, don't we? In a world where the tide is flowing ever towards self-defined morality, few people even understand what guilt is. We can feel quite lonely if we feel guilt, crushing feelings of guilt or unhappiness about the way we've acted. And when we speak to people, they say things like this, don't beat yourself up. Don't be, you're too hard on yourself. Forget about it. It's in the past. Well, you can't change the past anyway. Tomorrow's another day. They try to minimise our focus on the things we've done wrong. They minimise the negative feelings of guilt. There's some wisdom in it, but it's all too easy, isn't it? You can even feel alone in the truth sometimes. As we spend so little time together, we sometimes don't get down to the deep conversations Or maybe we secretly judge our brothers and sisters and we see them as materialistic or selfish or gossipy or other things, shallow maybe. And we don't trust them with our private lives or our sins. And even though God tells us to abandon the secret and shameful things and confess our sins to each other, and so we can be prayed for and forgiven. Perhaps we find it too hard to speak even to our brothers and sisters. So we feel quite alone sometimes in the guilt that we have, quite confused about what to do with it. And we can't relate even to those we really ought to be able to relate to above all. 
And if we have regrets that build up over time, you know, we, we, we read there about the folly of youth, didn't we? The sins that ha- we commit when we're young. Um, then it's time for a change, isn't it? If we're feeling like this, quite down about, the, about ourselves and our failings, it's time for a change, a welcome change. And then there's the other side of this coin where people don't feel uh, much guilt at all. Uh, even though when they take a hard look at their life, they know they're not really living the right way, not really. They kind of regret it, but they, they, they find it hard to feel emotional about it. They find it hard to feel guilt. Perhaps they can't feel as much as they even know they should. Uh, maybe people feel that they're not feeling guilt, like perhaps I would say some of the happy, clappy Christians, because they're just so faithful. There's no room for guilt because God forgives you immediately and you just leave it behind like a burden, something you don't want to touch. You might even find regret hard to muster. So firstly, if you don't feel much guilt, you're either lukewarm or you're not a sinner. Uh, I can't speak for you, but I've never been not a sinner. There have been times in my life when I found it hard to connect emotionally with the truth. I always believed, but it wasn't leading to much fruit. I just knew it in terms of head knowledge deep down. I was sinning and I was lukewarm. And perhaps I was even so lost, even the routine prayers I said each day just became a drumbeat, just became a, a thing, I, a habit, rather than a, a deep down um, truth. I just perhaps felt I could get away with my lifestyle by just asking for, God, for forgiveness from God without the guilt you know, the words, please forgive my sins as I forgive those, were like magic words, and I didn't give them much thought. So I didn't hold grudges, so maybe God didn't hold grudge towards me, and there was no room for guilt. That's honestly how I felt sometimes in my life, brothers and sisters. But that attitude is like an unfaithful wife that comes home late to her loving husband. I feel so awful, darling. I'm sorry about the whole affair with your best friend. Anyway, what's for dinner? It's not love. And it shows no respect for our vows or effort in the future. It's just a sort of selfish reliance on the love and faithfulness of the person you're hurting. And God doesn't want us to feel guilty, so I guess, yeah, what's for dinner? And we just sort of pray weekly for forgiveness and, and don't ever feel the guilt that we should do if we, if we had love for him. It's hard to imagine how that couple will ever truly reconcile if there's only love on one side. And on the other hand, if there's going to be a reconciliation, it's going to be painful. There's going to have to be real feelings of guilt and the acceptance of the pain you've caused and lots of talking. Otherwise, where could the repentance come in? Where's the sincerity with any of it? You know, it's, it's upsetting to think sometimes that we must hurt God so much that perhaps he's like our parents used to be sometimes, just too hurt to be angry, just too disappointed to be angry. So there is guilt that's rooted in love for God. And that's a good sign. It's similar to the way you get a flu vaccination. And you feel like you're coming down with the flu. Your bones ache and you swell up and you feel sick. So we should think of guilt in that way. Guilt isn't actually the problem. It's uncomfortable, it's painful. And the knowledge of what you are doing and all you are is nauseating. But guilt is just your inner man's response to sin in you. It's the sin that's actually the problem. Your body, your flesh, 
That's the problem, and that's at war with what it considers an unwelcome invader from from inside. Healthy guilt, then, is the Spirit of God working within us to transform us. We're being encouraged to repent and to reconcile with God. In the same way that people don't get flu jabs because they think they're going to catch flu, so we're sometimes encouraged to reject the notion of guilt, to be at war with guilt, not the sin that's really the problem. It's a misunderstanding, isn't it? Guilt is just a secondary thing, and sometimes a very good thing. No, I am not being too hard on myself, you say. No, I don't want to forget about it. I'm trying to understand how I came to be in the situation, so... I don't have to go there again. I don't want to be in bed for two months with flu. I'd rather take this vaccination. I'd rather feel the guilt that's the response to sin. So what I'm saying is that this interplay between the light of God's truth and the honest recognition of who we are as unholy people, this is what gives rise to guilt, and it's a, a good thing. So guilt is therefore a completely necessary thing sometimes. We should be at war against the sin, but the guilt is there to convict us and lead us humbly as captives, not towards death, but towards reconciliation and justification in Christ. Contrast this feeling with the feelings of people who don't have our hope. It's a wonderful life in so many ways, but so many people are in despair. They don't know their left hand from their right. It's our job to show them, like David showed us, that through honesty of our failings and through showing them how we can get up and try again with confidence, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. You feel guilt because you've sinned and your sins are detestable and you're right to feel the way you do about them. You've betrayed your father who loves you and if you love him, you should hate that fact and you should hate your sin and you should feel pain because of it. And I take all of that before him and repent and resolve not to do it again and reconcile with him. And this is what Christ has done for us. He has set us free. So that's guilt, the positive aspect of guilt. Now I want to talk about regret. And of course after that I would like to bring some positive uh, conclusion. So regret to me is... uh, there's a, you speak to brothers and sisters who have done something wrong in the past and have repented uh, and they've changed their life but they somehow can't forget about the guilt they can't let go of the guilt and that's a burden that they seem to have to carry for years and they were the recognition of their failings and a disappointment in themselves and wondering if God could really forgive them Uh, And this is a burdensome and painful, energy-sapping source of self-loathing. But I'd like to suggest that that's not guilt. Guilt is something that God decides. He decides if you're guilty or not, not you. What you're feeling for years and years is regret. And it too is normal and can be healthy. Just ask yourself... What about the prodigal son, this wastefully extravagant son? Do you think the prodigal son felt overjoyed the day his father welcomed him back? Of course he did. But what about the day afterwards when he was trying on his new clothes and waking up in this new bed, looking out at the sunshine? Of course, he felt overjoyed. 
What about the day after that, when he was helping his father in the fields, mending the sheep's fence? He would have been quiet, thoughtful, happy to be back. But then there were moments alone, out walking when his dad wasn't with him. Everybody else was all smiles, but he couldn't find it inside himself to smile back broadly. He'd let them all down. And yet they showed him so much kindness, so much mercy, it was just unbearable. He wasn't worth it. And then there was his brother, constantly avoiding his brother for the hundredth time as he walked around the kitchen, hearing his brother breathing out lies and complaints about his work and how his father was so much happier now, the jealousy of it. The prodigal son would have felt like getting out of there to make it easier for himself and for everyone. He didn't really fit in there anymore. He'd gone too far. He was an imposter in his own home. But brothers and sisters, he had repented. His father was overjoyed to have him back and would be mortified if he knew he was even thinking of leaving. And yet he still felt like this. And this is the definition of regret. The father would have been angry with his other son if he'd heard him behaving like that towards the prodigal son. You're both my sons, he would have said. And I've forgiven him. And turning to his prodigal son, he would have said, you're staying right here where I can see you. Don't dream of leaving again. And you will do your duty for me. So just as guilt is the recognition of our sinful distance from God's perfection that leads us in Christ to reconciliation, so regret is the pain of this process. It's like growing pains in children. We are growing spiritually. Like the healing of a broken bone or rheumatism we feel from past injuries or the memory of a burn, regret is there to stay But with God, all things are possible, and regret too shall bend its knee and be turned to work for the good for those who love God. Regret is mercifully like grief. It fades very gradually, if it ever goes completely. Where our memory of what we did wrong might be quickly forgotten, regret is a steady reminder to avoid what hurt us and hurt others in times past. It's not all it is, but it is a healthy way to help us remember where danger lies. It's also the memory of the pain we've caused others, isn't it? Because, of course, things which we go through, we very quickly forget. uh, But we we forget even quicker what we did to other people sometimes. But while we might have done something selfish in a fit of emotion... Others might have to live with the painful consequences of what we did for a lot longer, perhaps in silence. And it might be even much worse for them than we knew. So regret is a rightfully a reminder to us, a way to force us to be humble, to confront ourselves as we truly are, long after we've repented. It refocuses our attention on what we shouldn't have done. It forces us to ask the question, have you changed? And if we really have changed our ways, regret has another question. Is it still lurking there in your heart, in the murky depth somewhere? In other words, this business of sinning and of repentance and forgiveness does not come cheap. Remember Moses. There was a reason he was so meek. He had sinned greatly and he had carried regret for 40 years. 
We have no doubt he was a fine and upstanding member of his extended family and a wonderful husband and father, but inside he carried regret. Even after God called him, his humility shone through. So regret can be a very positive force to humble us and therefore allow us to journey more closely with God. Now, How about Paul? Quoting from Ephesians 3 and the first of Corinthians 15, I have fought the good fights and I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Me. He'll award it to me, he said. Despite him saying, I am the least of all the apostles and don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Regret, therefore, is like a walking stick, an aid on your journey provided by God that we need to use to help us walk after we've broken our own spiritual bones. Or it's the cross and burden of our own making we have to carry because it humbles us. It makes our spirits contrite, regretful or sorrowful. And God can work with malleable sons and daughters that have a regretful or sorrowful spirit, a contrite spirit. So the message is to let your guilt have a guilt edge. It leads us to justification through repentance. Let your regret help you walk on the straight road in the hope of God's mercy, in the trust in God's faithfulness and with love for Christ because of his righteousness. As we read in the second of Corinthians 4, don't lose heart. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what's seen but on what's unseen. Some of the spiritual concepts we've been talking about this morning, of those unseen things. What's seen is temporary, but what's unseen is eternal. I want to create this metaphor now that I was thinking of as I wrote these words. If God is, the, if God is light, if God is the sunlight that shines on the, the seas, the peoples, I'd like you to think of guilt as a cloud. Guilt as a cloud. It separates you from the brightness of God. It's something, it's the, it's the interplay between what you are and what God is. And it reminds me, this metaphor reminded me of when Israel was in the wilderness and Moses was receiving the law. Moses' face shone like the righteousness, like Christ's face shines. Moses' face shone and he, was, he had this amazing relationship with God that none of the people, the Israelites, could see. What they saw was a cloud. It was a storm cloud. And that, that cloud was full of thunder and possibly lightning. And they were terrified. And I'd like you to think the reason why they were terrified, as many people are in storms, is because of their feeling of guilt. And you knew that they hadn't done the right thing. They hadn't let go of it. They hadn't asked for forgiveness. They were not right with God. And they saw this incredible sight and they were terrified. 
And so what was their reaction to this, this guilt, this, this cloud? Their reaction was to make gods that they didn't find threatening. Their, their reaction was to comfort themselves the only way they knew how, with their lust. And so guilt can be, if you don't recognize the forgiveness of God, repent and reconcile, it can be the worst thing for you. You have to see past the cloud. You have to allow the light of God and his righteousness to evaporate that cloud and drive away that guilt. It's the difference between the love of life that you want to have in spite of knowing that you should be loving God and the, and the life of love, isn't it? The, the difference between the love of life and the life of love. And there would have been some in that community, in that Israelitish community, that did understand uh, forgiveness. And that had been forgiven and had reconciled. And they wouldn't have been frightened of that cloud. They would have had regret. But they would have moved on. They would have grown emotionally. As we read in the first of John chapter 4, there is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears isn't made perfect in love. The second of Corinthians 4 says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Because of what Christ has done, we can look through where the cloud would have been. There is no cloud. We can remain in Jesus, justified through faith, without fear of guilt. So we are a renewed creation. So let that edict of God, that let light shine out of darkness, let that shine in our lives. And let us not, as it were, continue to look back on the slavery and chaos and darkness of the original creation where clouds and darkness was upon the face of the deep. But let us look forward to the hope we have, the certain hope we have through justification in Christ, through faith in Christ. So I'd like to end with these familiar words. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or even imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him Be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let us now remember Christ and think on what he's suffered, not just at the end, but during his whole life, as he lived each painful moment with people that just didn't understand him and at times tried to hold him back from giving himself. Just imagine how high his thoughts were and how desperately lonely He must have felt sometimes. Little wonder that he had to retreat and meditate and pray to his father about spiritual things. Let us also now then do likewise.